Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer, as always, is Lou Pellegrino. We have a really good podcast this week. It's three. If you're an NBA, if you're on NBA Twitter, uh, these are three, you know, major players, major stars of NBA Twitter. So I am excited that uh, they've decided to join this podcast, especially given I am paying them absolutely zero dollars for it. Sirit Sohi is a NBA reporter for Yahoo Sports. She just moved to Yahoo Sports. She's based in Toronto, Canada. Candace Buckner is a reporter for the Washington Post. She covers the Washington Wizards. She's talking to us today from Arlington, Virginia. And Howard Beck is a senior NBA writer at Bleacher Report. He is uh, wandering, I believe, the, the mean streets of the Upper East Side in New York City. So we have people, and Lou Pellegrino's in Midtown Manhattan. So we have people from all over the place. I'll do my best to uh, organize this podcast. But first, what up, Sirit? What up, Candice? And what up, Beck? Thank you very much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. What up, sir? All right, here we go. So, Candice, I'm going to start with you. This would be sort of be the easiest way since we can't look at each other uh, for awkward dialogue. Um, I want this is a question for all you guys. So, Beck and Sirit, pay attention. Uh, Candace, let's start with you. What do you what do you think readers expect from you in your current role, and why? I, I guess my specific audience uh, they're expecting me to to write fire Ernie Grunfeld eighty times in my copy. Um, the Wizards fans so Wizards fans want one thing and one thing only. They're not very happy right now. The they're not very happy for the last couple of years. I guess since I've been there. Um, they're always expecting things to go wrong, and when things go wrong, it's uh, the, the knee-jerk reaction is that, you know, fire everybody. And so with the Wizards, with the team that I cover being, you know, what they are, um, I, they are expecting me, and I, I, I guess this is, a, this is an opportunity because I feel like I've been, I've been saying this into, like, Twitter re- replies and not really, you know, really expressing it, but uh, I am expected to do... I am expected to do something that I think they would expect from a columnist or a fan blogger or someone who um, is supposed to give their opinion. And me being the, the, beat, the beat reporter, I'm trying to let them know I don't advocate for jobs. No, I may get a little voicey sometimes and have an, um, an analytical approach to stories and try to, and try to show a little bit more than, um, you know, just what's going on and put it in the context. But for me to advocate for someone to lose their job or for me to uh, take a stand saying this needs to happen, Scott Brooks needs to go, John Wall needs to be benched. Um, as the beat reporter, I don't, I, don't, I don't think a lot of people know <laughs> what my role exactly is, and they're expecting something else. So I'm giving them something that they don't want, Richard. So maybe that's a failure <laughs> on my part or just a failure on the American public part not to understand the role of a beat reporter. All right, so Candace, let's uh, before I get to Beck and uh, Sirit, let's stay with this. So, in your in your estimation, and in the Washington Post estimation, what does a beat reporter, or what should a beat reporter for the Washington Post covering the Wizards be doing? Yeah, I only speak for myself. I'm, I'm not even for my employers, but um, you know, call me old school. But I believe that I am I'm given access, and I'm supposed to take the readers behind um, the locker room door and show them what I see and report um, what, what, the t- what, what is going on with the team and, and often what the team, uh, what, is, what is going on besides what the team is telling you. 
uh, or, or at least telling us. I'm trying to put context and, and trying to um, really explain what's happening. But to just come out and, like, I keep saying to advocate. I'm not an advocate. I'm a journalist. So I want to use my press pass for, for knowledge, for insight, for, for something that you cannot get anywhere else. You can, watch, you can watch it on television. You can say, yeah, yeah, this, this Wizards team, they, they are terrible at, in the first quarters. They can't play defense. But as a beat reporter, I'm supposed to uh, explain why. So that's what I believe my job is. That's, that's I like that answer. All right, Sirhit, we go to you. Um, you just moved from SB Nation to Yahoo Sports. And so uh, you're, you're an interesting person for this question, given that you're based in Toronto. So obviously you've probably seen and covered a lot of the Raptors, but at the same time, I would classify you as a national NBA voice. And that's obviously certainly something you'll be doing at Yahoo. So the same question, basically I asked Candace is what do you think the people reading you expect from you in your current role? You know, this is kind of a tougher question, just given that it is, only my second day at Yahoo, so I don't really, I don't really know yet. So figuring out what I'm going to end up giving readers and what, as a result, will be expected uh, from me. But yeah, with the with kind of the unique situation that I'm in, I kind of, I almost feel like a local foreign correspondent sometimes because I'm covering the Raptors from a very American angle, I guess, as opposed to. Most of the most of the media there is covering a lot of Canadian stories while covering the Raptors. You're just getting a lot more granular because they're on the beat, whereas I kind of, I guess, parachute into the city that I live in, which is a little bit weird. And then there are times when I get to, I guess, zag where most people are zigging because let's say, I don't know, there's a Canadian player in town and that's just not something that any of my readers at SB Nation or, or Yahoo are interested in. And there's just people in the locker room that are already covering that. So it's kind of like, uh, yeah, I guess foreign correspondent is probably the best way to put it. <laughs> All right, Howard, you're, you're in your current job, it's very clear that you're a national NBA writer and that you cover national stories. Obviously before this, you covered the Knicks for and the Nets for the New York Times. You covered uh, the Lakers when you worked in Los Angeles. But you're the sort of, a, I think, NBA fans clearly know that you have a national outlook. But how do you, how do you look at it in terms of what you're trying to provide for readers? Yeah, I mean, it's different now. And I would say that in my old life, whether it was at the Times or the Daily News, I would have described um, my, my purview my objectives, everything exactly as Candace did. She laid out perfectly, you know, the role of a beat writer, which is in the traditional sense, especially, you know, in newspapers, you're reporting and observing and, and to an extent analyzing, but you're not infusing a lot of your voice necessarily, except a, a writerly voice, but not a, uh, not a voice of, of advocacy or anything. And in this job, which I've been in for five years now, I've actually had to adapt quite a bit because when I first got to Bleacher Report, we did a ton of video, and a lot of that was opinion-based, um, weighing in on whatever. Um, and I've got the podcast now. I make the rounds on, on radio and other podcasts. And, and so I've, I've had to adapt to being more of a pundit than I ever really viewed myself as. Uh, I've never, you know, I was never one who aspired to be 
a, you know, a general columnist or anything else and, and, and sit around pontificating and telling everybody what they should believe about uh, their favorite sports team. Um, and still to this day, even with all the freedom I now have, I still kind of confine myself to, a, you know, a, a certain, certain just self-imposed boundaries. Like, I'm not going to advocate for anybody's firing either. Um, I might say the Wizards are screwed unless they trade John Wall, and, and you know, if I believe that. Um, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not a hot take guy. I don't think people expect that of me. Occasionally on Twitter, I think they expect it of me. I think, I think sometimes people start almost demanding that you have some kind of stance. And if you hint at a stance, um, they don't hesitate to, uh, to, to fire at you, even if all you did was kind of wade in lightly. Um, but in terms of what my readers expect or what BR readers or podcast listeners expect, I hope they just ex- uh, are, are expecting some nuanced, measured analysis and some decent storytelling about uh, you know, players and trends in the NBA that, that they hopefully had not read about yet. I'm, I'm just looking to give them something interesting uh, below the surface that, uh, that hasn't been brought to light yet. Maybe it's just me, though, Howard, but I think that's, I think that's, that's the meat right there. I, I would I follow I, – even before I started getting into NBA beat reporting, I knew who you were and I respected you because of, um, because of your, your, your insight. So, so I, I think on on Twitter, it kind of seems like it's it's almost like a sports talk radio, or you just want people to yell at you for you know thirty minutes. But when I go to like when I when I when I read your stories, I feel like I'm learning something, and I I don't know maybe that's just the journalist in me. But no, thank you. That's kind. Uh, that I mean that's the hope, right? For any of us, you know, if, if uh, you know, what are we doing if we're not enlightening the reader on some level and maybe entertaining them a little bit? Uh, just so people know, Howard Beck's podcast is the full 48 with Howard Beck. So please check that out. Howard, was that you, by the way, that had some sirens in the background? Was that an Upper East Side? <laughs> not, uh, not, not, not aimed at me that I know of, but yes, those were my sirens on the, uh, on the FDR here uh, as I continue wandering the uh, area around the East River. Yeah, we'll never, we, leave, we love that sound on this podcast. We leave it on. If you have any dogs in the background or anything like that, let them, let them bark away. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, all right, Candice, uh, uh, well, I'll start with you on this. This is kind of really what I wanted to get into a discussion about, and this is where I wish we were all sitting around the table somewhere so uh, we could sort of all react to each other, but we'll do our best given that we're all in multiple different cities. Um, so it seems to me that, and this is not any kind of genius uh, proclamation or, uh, or read by me, but I, I think this is sort of just the truism of the NBA in terms of media coverage. The, the national media increasingly falls into a couple of different categories. There's, there's those who compete at the highest level for news and transactional stuff, trades, coaches getting fired, big moves. That You know, the Woges of the world are sort of part of that. Mark Steins, they're part of that world. There's a group that does really good uh, detailed analysis using video and analytics and really in-depth and insightful writing on basketball and you know, there's many, many young people uh, in the game now who are writing that, and they do an amazing job. There's feature writing specialists, and then there's probably a group who are uh, a mix of all those above. And then, obviously, there's people like you who are doing all those kinds of different things at a at a at a more local level for a team. But do you, do I have that right? You think, in your opinion, in terms of how the sport is covered, you sort of People almost, in a way, end up picking their lane, and that's kind of where they get known in terms of uh, 
the micro media of what they do? Yeah, there's so many, um, so many different playgrounds um, with NBA coverage, and and I even shoot. You know, I have no qualms in saying I love what Rob Perez does, and then even follow his uh, police chases whenever he streams them. And it's it's, it's <laughs> great and it's funny, and there's so many different lanes for us to get into, um, uh, especially in NBA Twitter. So um, yeah, if, if you're into you know the uh, um, I guess whatever you want, and, and I shouldn't have, you know, just pigeonholed that, oh, NBA fans only want people screaming at each other. No, there's – actually, I, I think this um, this league um, has so many progressive um, people in it, from the players to um, to the people in the, the, the league office to the writers, and, and I actually do think the audience is a, is a progressive, uh, enlightened bunch. So there's so many different avenues. And, yeah, I think you, you nailed it with um, – with all the different, um, I, I think of it like I think of it like a different like a playground. And so you have your slides, you have your merry-go-round, you have your your swings. You have so many different things to uh, have fun around, and, and that's what the NBA media is like right now. Sir, you're pretty young in this business, so when you when you're looking at like those kind of avenues, did you try to figure out like what avenue would be best for you, or do you just do what you do and let others? Maybe maybe uh, let uh, let someone else categorize what they think it is you are doing. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it is for me has been a, about opportunity. I think for me, I've, I've been trying to to build a lane in feature writing for a little while now, but that's something I never even would have been able to consider had I not gotten the opportunity to write my first feature as a freelancer. And that kind of really opened up the floodgates for me as far as realizing, oh, okay, no, this this is it. This is what I wanted to do. I think a lot, for a long time I was kind of floating around figuring out, do I want to do X's and O's? Do I want to write columns? And that was kind of just all the stuff that not living in, uh, in an NBA city and not having access to, to players, not having, like, big access, I, get, I guess, uh, kind of confined me to. But, yeah, then... Just to just to add to Candace's point, the fact that the NBA fans, like the beauty of NBA fans, is that they are interested in everything. Like that's kind of where we are with the league right now. There are so few angles. I always think mm-hmm. of it as like things that you can you can uh, pitch because I spent so much time freelancing. There's so few angles that wouldn't be interesting right now. Like you could almost send an editor like a an ad lib and it would be like yeah sure do this because like fans are interested in sports and culture and x's and o's the human side they want storytelling some people just want hot takes some people want to read longer stories there's politics there's fashion and there's just so much of a hunger for fans to know especially just about players lives and like from pretty much every angle i think that i think that's almost everywhere now i think it's just the nature of celebrity at this point but it really just kind of opens up the floodgates for people to be able to find the exact thing that they want to do and then be able to turn it into a beat uh howard i want to get you on this but i I want to sort of ask an offshoot of this um when one person in the marketplace in this case adrian wojanowski is sort of so dominant when it comes to news breaking that doesn't mean he breaks every story but he certainly is sort of known as the as the sport's biggest newsbreaker. Uh, does that impact, do you think, people in terms of the avenue that they want to go, meaning that if you were 23, would you, would you not try to be a newsbreaker because you don't think you'd ever get the sourcing right away that the top people have? Or 
I don't know. Conversely, would it be like, hey, I want to be the next Woj, so I'm going to try to be a transactional broker as opposed to, you know, making my bones as a feature writer. I just wonder how you sort of see the landscape. Yeah, it's hard because I've been doing this so long. It's hard to like transport myself into the idea of like if I were 20 years old and, and you know, in the middle of, you know, college and, and trying to figure out, okay, I'm going to be out in a couple of years. What do I want to do? In the, in the sports writing world or in the NBA writing world, if I knew I wanted to do that, which, by the way, I absolutely did not know at that age. But mm-hmm. I, I, there, there are, I mean, to your point, there are so many avenues, so many different directions you can take it. Um, it is much more specialized now than it ever was before. And, you know, we can talk about, you know, how much just the, the model has changed and expanded and serves like, a, you know, a billion different micro niches, I think, that, that couldn't be served in a pre-Internet media world. Um, and so fans are serviced a lot better now because no matter what they want, it's out there. And so that's the strength of this all. In terms of the, the, the news-breaking part of it, it has changed uh, a lot. Um, Adrian has a lot to do with that, frankly, and some others too. But um, the way that, that news-breaking has evolved as a national thing, it just didn't exist back in the day. It, you know, Peter Vesey might break a story on somebody else's, in somebody else's backyard, um, it's, I shouldn't say might. He definitely would. But he was probably the only one doing it, and it wasn't everything. Um, it's gotten to the point now where it's basically a couple of people who get everything. Um, and so I think if you're coming up as an aspiring, let's just stick with the NBA because I don't even know how it works in the other sports, but if you're an aspiring NBA writer and you say, well, okay, there's the guys who do the analytics, write about analytics a lot, of the guys who break down video and do a lot of scouting-type stuff, and there are people who do the great profiles, and then there's the people who are – team beat writers, and then there's these newsbreakers. I don't think there's, frankly, a lot of room in, in that newsbreaking uh, area. Um, so I think uh, trying to carve out a space within that uh, in, the, in the current environment um, would be pretty difficult, to say the least. Um, I do think, however, and I've seen this evolve over the last several years, in a Twitter environment where a breaking news tweet gets you a bazillion retweets and new followers and that that rush that that little moment of glory and maybe uh your name on the crawl on espn um that is incredibly alluring that is that is uh that is just uh bait for for young reporters i think who 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 seek out that part of it now not everybody wants that um but i think that it's 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 um it's irresistible for 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 some people that that's that's the glory part of it is those breaking news tweets that get you all the attention. Um, I, I would you know my 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 old man lecture to young aspiring reporters would be just to say that you know that's the uh, the ends and not the means and it's also not everything and there's way more to journalism and covering the NBA than that and no one should confine themselves to that. Um, because I, I think it's it, it, it's limiting, and uh, you know there's there's so much more about the NBA that's interesting to, to write about, and that can lead you to a great career. But um, but there's no there's no mistaking the fact that it's incredibly alluring, and it's also what fans. I mean, the fans have driven this. The reason it's such a big deal is because fans love transactions and they love rumors. Uh, just to add to to Howard's point there, you know, like like you said it doesn't really feel like there's a lot of space. And I think that if you're a young person looking to get into sports media, you really put yourself in danger of pigeonholing yourself when you say, okay, well, there's this guy who breaks down tape and this guy who 
you know, breaks news and this guy who tells stories and you say, okay, I want to go be that guy because then you're going to kind of end up in a situation where you aren't really being yourself a lot of the times. You're being like some sort of cookie cutter variation on who you're supposed to be as a writer or as an analyst. And right. I think that that's, there's there's a real danger in that. And the the solution to the fact that there's no room is kind of, figuring out a way to carve out a new space. And I think for the most part, like people that we've been, that we've seen break into sports media have been people who have been able to do that. And the safest bet on doing that is just to follow your own curiosity and, and not be afraid to take risks as opposed to, you know, trying to follow a blueprint. Yeah, that's, that's well. So first of all, isn't it great that uh, Howard thinks that um, it's a hundred percent that you're going to get on that ESPN crawl as opposed to media reports. If you break a story, so it's, <laughs> I, like, I like, I like his optimism. I'll leave that critique to you, Rich. You're, you're thank you. Howard. <laughs> um, all right. This is for, uh, Candace and Sirit. Um, and you, both you guys actually, I'd be interested if you would, uh, weigh in it, you know, again, this is a very subjective take, but it strikes me that of the major sports leagues far and away, this is the best league in terms of um, the amount of diversity when it comes to people of color and women in the sports media who have been given avenues and platforms to write about it, to podcast about it, to talk on television about it. Uh, you know, there's, that's a longer sort of conversation to have about where the NBA ranks in terms of progressiveness and everything else and the reasons for it. But, I don't, you know, I, Candace, I'll start with you. I, that, that's not... I don't think that's me sort of saying something that's uh, that's sort of not proven uh, by just the numbers. But as a woman of color in the NBA, I would like to get your observations about just what it has been like for you and other people of color who are able to express themselves in different creative ways in the media covering the sport. Yeah, um, you know, this isn't to name drop, but I'm all about name dropping. But when I first got to uh, when I first got into the business, I was uh, just doing home games for uh, the Portland Trailblazers in the 2012-2013 season. And Mark Spears, who is a great advocate for journalists of color um, in the game, and so I asked him, like, you know, how do I do this? How do how, you know how do I fit in? I've never been in the NBA locker room. I've always done preps. You know, how, how do I do this job? And he said, you know what, you're going to be all right because, and even he did mention, um, you know, these locker rooms, a lot of them are African-American, and a lot of them have been raised by, um, you know, singular women voices or, or strong um, women voices, so you'll be fine. Um, now, now, when I got into the locker room, it's not like, you know, it's like, like a family reunion. I'm dapping everybody up because, hey, we're all black. But I do feel, uh, I do feel like they they've been used. They're used to um, either women reporters or or just people who look like me in their life. And so I haven't. I never felt like out of out of place in a locker room. And I've never. And and this is my seventh year now. I've never experienced any sort of um, uh, untowardness in a locker room, uh, whether somebody thought, you know, I wasn't capable or, you know, someone, um, you know, stepping out of pocket. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's so great because when, when I first started, when I was first starting out, I was seeing, um, Surit, um, retweets in my timeline and I didn't know who, who she was, but she was always funny. 
And so it's like, okay, I, I need to pay attention to her. But it's, it's, it's people like her who make their own lane. And these are dudes retweeting you, you know? You know, these, these, these are other, these are, these are guys who see your voice as equal and they could care less that you're a woman. Um, and so I, I just, I really do appreciate that about the NBA. And I don't know much about the NFL. Uh, a friend of mine, Kimberly Martin, is now at Yahoo. So um, I, I think she, she was saying that she may be one of the few, but every, like every city I go to, there's at least a, a blogger or someone on the television side or, or, or a reporter like me who is a woman or a person of color. And it's like, it's not a big deal. Sure, a lot of pressure now, first of all, to be funny. And second of all, uh, Kim, Martin, <laughs> Kim Martin, for a long time, the only, um, the only black woman columnist uh, at a major sports columnist, I should say, at a major metro uh, for years, uh, following uh, maybe Shannon Owens and uh, Jamel Hill. So Kim Martin, who's been on this podcast, can uh, certainly tell you about that. Sirat, uh, I ask you the same question, but maybe if you want to take it on the sort of the media side, um, when you're in scrums, when you're writing pieces uh, after games, if, you're, if you've attended games, do you find that the, um, the media, at least in the NBA, is more reflective of uh, the country at whole in terms of diversity? And uh, you're certainly seeing other women there, and I imagine you're certainly seeing a ton of people of color there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, like, I definitely agree with Candace's point that when you enter a locker room now, um, you know, the road the road team almost always has two or three women on the beat that are there. The Raptors beat has, has two or three women. And then there's, you know, just the random people that you see all around. The Raptors, in particular, just as an organization, have made such a big deal of hiring, hiring women and hiring uh, people of color that, you know, it really does at times feel like... Uh, feel like a, like a melting pot. I hate to be that cliche about it, but at the same time, though, there's definitely a bit of an old boys club element there as well, because I think, uh, I think Canada isn't quite as caught up to the new media landscape as the States are. Like there's just, it's still a lot more emphasis on TV as opposed to the internet, which I think is a little bit reflected in, in the coverage and, and who's in the locker room. So there's it's it's an interesting mix. I think uh, I think that those two forces not aren't necessarily fighting each other, but they're kind of just like coexisting in in the same space. So that can be interesting, especially in a scrum where you get uh, your standard issue questions, and then you get kind of like guys like, for example, like like Alex Wong, who who covers uh, covers the NBA for the Score, and is always always uh, working on really interesting stories that I think that I think really cater to. Uh, to what Twitter is interested in. He did something on um, on players and social media addictions a little while ago, and, and like that was a story that I think a lot of young people really liked. So seeing all that stuff in in one scrum is always kind of interesting. And then I think you know, as far as answering the original question, it's almost like uh, just as as an Indian person, I haven't exactly seeped explicitly like my experiences into into any stories yeah like i work the only indian person i've ever really done a story on is something i'm saying so maybe down the line that will be a thing but overall i think you know your experiences will always kind of guide the way that you think and i think that i see that in some player stories i do especially immigrant stories and you know just 
you know, I, I guess uh, things that relate to like the people around me, but nothing sort of explicit. Howard hit on this a little bit, but the thing about NBA Twitter is it's so robust. Um, it's so active. It never goes away. Obviously, when trades happen, it's kind of incredible to watch. So, Howard, this leads me to sort of my, my thought or question for you is, do you feel like you have to perform when you are on Twitter in particular because because NBA Twitter is sort of so, for lack of a better phrase, performance-oriented and people want to engage with not just players but with writers. And I don't know. I wonder if there's a perform. I, I know you're – I respect you as a journalist and obviously you're information first. But when you are on Twitter specifically, I just I'm, – I'm curious if all three of you feel like there's a, profe- there's a pressure to perform because of um, the largeness of NBA Twitter. I mean, most days I'm just trying to be as funny as Syrit, but, you know. <laughs> We're all trying to be as funny as Syrit. It's not, it's all not easy. All of funny in 140-character increments, so. <laughs> or 280. Or 280. Um, yeah. No, listen, I, 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 Richard, you're, you're on to something for sure in that um, Twitter's a different kind of space, and it allows us all to kind of take on a different voice than we would in our day-to-day writing um, and reporting. And... Um, but, like, for me, I, I think it just kind of depends on my own mood that day. There are days where I'm just going to give a straightforward, this happened, or somebody else tweeted something and I may weigh in with whatever my, my quick thought is. But in terms of trying to be creative or funny, I mean, look, we're all writers. We're all, we're all trying to kind of do that anyway. And, um, you know, the beauty of Twitter is that if you don't feel like, uh, the, the, you know, the creativity or, or the, uh, the whim is there at that moment, you, you just – move on or you just retweet somebody else who already said it better or, or funnier or more interestingly. Um, but I, yeah, there's a certain amount of performance there. Uh, I, I don't, I don't deny that. And I think we all kind of like, you know, every so often you nail something and you know, you, it's, it's fun to get that instant reaction. I mean, I think that's the beauty of Twitter in the first place, whether it's getting instant reaction on a story you just worked really hard on that you posted and people are weighing in and, and giving you, you know, uh, kudos for it or killing you for it, or whatever. I mean, the instant feedback is, is as a reporter, as a writer, is, is one of the great things about Twitter anyway. And so, yeah, occasionally, um, if I got something that I thought was really funny, or just some, you know, little quick shot I want to throw out there uh, to get a reaction, yeah, it, it's, it's, part of the, it's part of the game. Candice, what about you? I started to notice now that um, uh, during games, you know, obviously this, this – I don't know how many games, 82, there's, there's 82 games, maybe I'll cover around like 78 or, or 80, but when I'm, when I'm watching the game, I used to, my Twitter game used to be really strong during games, but now I'm, I'm, I'm starting to realize that maybe I'm just losing my fastball, maybe I'm just getting old and tired, but my, my Twitter game during games just sucks. But when I'm watching, like if I watch the Wizards aren't playing tonight, so whoever's, whoever's playing uh, on the showcase games, if I'm watching that, I'm more relaxed. Um, you know, I can I can step up to the the spirit level, but other than that, um, I do try because I I think I'm pretty um, um, hilarious and, and humble at that. <laughs> but I, I, I do try I do try to you know at times you know as you say I I never really put the word perform with it, but I do try you know you know get a joke off here or there. Um, I've been struggling recently, so I just don't say anything. And like a Howard, you know, you, you just you retweet a, a teammate of yours, a coworker, 
Um, we just got a new NBA reporter, so I need to like read his work and retweet it out to my followers. Um, but other than that, it's it's like, man, I need a, I need I need to fresh, freshen up on my 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 tweet game. I'm honest. I'm a little bit floored by this concept. This so you guys are saying that if you don't have anything interesting to say, you just don't tweet. <laughs> I mean, like right now, I just I I, I just finished a four game road trip. I I was w- w- when we started this podcast, I was trying to tweet out my story, but I like I have nothing <laughs> worthwhile to say. So I'm not I'm not on Twitter as much. I guess I'm not on Twitter as much, especially if it's a down day. And I'm not I'm not tweeting throughout the games as 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 I would like for sure. Yeah, I mean I joke, but I think the one thing with uh, with tweeting during games is I've I've stopped doing that for the most part this season because just on a very basic level, it's hard to look at one screen and also look at the other screen and like your focus kind of. It's easy to get distracted. You tweet something, and you see something interesting on Twitter, and it's five minutes, and oh, what this team just made a nine-zero run, and I completely missed it. No, I'm covering this game, yeah. and it's live, and I can't, I can't rewind it. So, it's definitely, it's definitely tough. There's a, there's like a balance that you gotta, that you gotta strike. Well, Candice, we're gonna be rooting for you, Candice. Maybe you can refine uh, <laughs> your game in, the, in April. And even even your joke just flew over my head. That's how off I am. I'm, I'm my my comedy bone has 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 withered away. I don't know what it is. <laughs> you maybe you're like trip. you might be like Vince you Carter. Know. It just might be at the end, and you're now a role player basically. <laughs> I'll break out a dunk every now and then and do the, exactly. the motor motor celebration, whatever he does. Exactly. All right, Candice, I'm going to stay with you, but I'm going to ask all three of you the same question: Who's the most meteor friendly player you deal with regularly, and why? Um, I would say John Wall, uh, and which makes my life so much easier uh, to, for the best player that you cover in your locker room to be just the easiest guy to work with. Um, so, like, for example, um, on Saturday night they played in Cleveland, and that was the last time that he played um, because he revealed that. And that was, he had a career low one point. And I've, I've dealt with some guys before. And, and career low, nine years in the league, guys. And this is his career low, one point. So I've dealt with guys in the past that if they have a bad game, they will leave the, um, they will leave the lack of them early or they will mumble some, you know, cliches out at you. But John, um, John first, he initially didn't talk. Um, well, he wasn't talking to the media. He was just, you know, kind of working on his heel. Um, and that wasn't, you know, just, you know, to duck away from us, but I, I went over there and just started chit-chatting with him and he's as open as like, we're just chit-chatting like, um, we're at Starbucks and this is, you know, after, after a career low night, um, he's about to reveal that he has an injury and it wasn't an excuse. He has been, he has been dealing with this for a, a little, a little while, but he's, he's just perfectly okay to deal with like on a human level. And and that's that's really all I care about. Like you're around this team so much that at a, at a to an extent, like I talk to the Wizards more than I talk to my own family. Um, I'm not trying to be their buddy, but just in, just in the this in the way that things are, are have have been created with a beat reporter and a team relationship. We, we are basically we have a work relationship and we see each other every bloody day. So. I would I appreciate when I can just deal with you on a human level and just chit chat sometimes. And then after 
Uh, we talked about, you know, you know, his kid that he uh, that, you know, that his partner just had talked about his hill, talked about some other random stuff. And then he gave an interview and, and said, you know, first game of my life. I had this this uh, this type of stat line. Worst game of my life. And so I like that he's honest, he's open and he's always freaking available. Hmm. Great answer. Uh, Howard. You know, it's funny. The entire time Candace was talking, I was trying to think of, like, what is the, uh, what's the, the meaningful response for me here? It's just different as a national writer versus being a beat writer because, like, Candace's experience with John Wall is exactly, you know, what I had when I was covering the Knicks, and it was, you know, guys like Malik Rose or Kurt Thomas, veterans who were really smart and insightful and, you know, again, as, as Candace said, dealt with you on a human level, were just good people, but also always kind of knew what you needed and didn't mind standing there for the extra few minutes, even after, you know, they've lost 17 straight games or something, which probably happened a lot of times during my next coverage. Um, and back in my Laker beat writing days, it was guys like Rick Fox, Robert Ory, Derek Fisher, Brian Shaw. I mean, there was a ton. It was, I mean, it was, I had great locker rooms and even Shaq and Kobe on their best days. Um, but, but, you know, you're always looking for those guys who are, these smart, usually veteran guys who just have a ton of perspective. They get it. They understand what we do and what we need and um, always kind of keep the humanity first so that you don't feel like you're, you know, this vulture hovering over, prying for a quote, but that it's more like, you know, listen, let's, let's just have this conversation because partially it's the job, but partially because it's, it's interesting to have these conversations. Um, in this job, you know, I'm not regularly around any one team at all, and so I have. It's a different kind of relationship with folks, and you don't get to know people as well. It's one of the things I like. I don't miss being a beat writer. It's it's grueling, and I, 16 years was more than enough. Um, but I do miss the the rapport that you get with you know every player in a roster, people up and down the chain uh, in terms of coaches, staff, everything else, because you're just there every day, and it's your job to be that connected um it's 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 different in this in this job so i don't i don't really there's like no one player i could say is like that go-to person but i've had great experiences with a bunch of guys around the league um in general um just had danny green on the podcast he was fantastic um you know the lebron has been accommodating uh over the last several years when i've needed him he's been great uh carmelo you know despite ups and downs otherwise competitively and, and i've certainly written some tough things about him over the years has always been great, but there's not there's not like that one guy you know on any one team because I'm just not around any one team anymore. Sir, it's got to be C.J. Miles in the Raptors locker room for sure. He's just uh, I think he he embodies a lot of the characteristics that you guys mentioned. Just keeping the human side, a guy that you feel like you can have a conversation with is kind of you know regardless of how he's playing is is okay with you going up and chatting with him. There's another veteran who also you know. When you ask him a question, he really does understand what you need, and he's really open, and he's kind of he's kind of willing to be revealing, and he's he's very trusting, and I think that's a, that's a credit to him because at the end of the day, like he doesn't really really owe me an answer beyond the beyond the bare minimum that he has to that he has to give that he's uh, contractually obligated to give, and uh, there's guys who would rather do it that way, but with CJ, he's a guy that just has always just been respectful and understanding of the fact that we all have a job to do and like it's it's way harder for a reporter to do their job if uh if you know you're not really going to try to open up with them or just always kind of stymie stymie them and 
It was just, uh, like, like last year, for example, you know, every time I talked to him, I felt like, A, he was incredibly, incredibly friendly, forthcoming, cheery even. And, um, you know, we developed a pretty good rapport. And, you know, this season starts, and you kind of realize, like, stuff that he started to, to open up about is that he felt like he had a really tough season. And, like, on a day-to-day basis, he felt like he wasn't in shape, that he wasn't performing. Uh, he, he had a kid for the first time, which is obviously you know, very momentous and happy occasion, but it really, it really wore him out. And it's one of those things where I was just, uh, I think it really just spoke to, to his, his character and how great of a guy he is that nobody in, in the locker room could tell that, that he was down on himself. If I could plus one CJ Miles, when I, when I was in Indiana, um, I think maybe, I think he was there for the last two years of uh, my, my, year, my, my time there. And we had a very low-rated um, uh, web show, uh, IndyStar.com. Like, literally, I, I couldn't even get my, 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 my own people to watch the show. But he would show up and be enthusiastic about this, <laughs> this, this show shot in a, in a local sports bar. And, like, and, I, and, I had, and I had this show with uh, George Hill first, and George Hill would show up kind of grumbling in a, in a kind of emo, sour mood before the cameras rolled on. And I, I don't think that's a, you know, people who deal with George Hill knows that he's not great with the media. He just doesn't care about that part of the job. But CJ was uh, just a fresh, a breath of fresh air. Uh, see, Candace, if you go emo sour mood in a tweet, you're going to get that comedy <laughs> game right back. That's a good tweet right there. Hey, uh, quick, quick, before we move on from this one, Richard, I should just say, because I, I, it, it, I neglected or it just... Uh, skips past my brain when I was answering. Uh, shout out to Jamal Crawford, actually, who has been phenomenal. Like, basically, every team he's ever been on since I covered him back in his early Knicks days um, has just been one of the most accommodating players in the NBA period, not just for me, but for a, a great many of us. Um, and, you know, uh, he's uh, if, I, if, I were, if there's one guy who's kind of the constant, you know, over the last several years as I've drifted away from team coverage, uh, it's great to always find Jamal somewhere on somebody's bench and always uh, always willing to have a conversation, whether it's on the record, off the record, about personal stuff, professional stuff, whatever. He's, he's just a you know, great all-around dude. Nice. Streaky shooter. Um, all right, let's uh, we'll reverse this one. That's not really a reverse one. Uh, this is sort of, it's, all, it's along the same lines. Um, and Candace, I'll stick with you. Who, right now, in the league, maybe, maybe the answer is no one, but is there someone in the league you have yet to interview? that you would really like to interview, and if so, who and why? Oh, okay. I thought you were going to like have me drop some tea and like say who sucks. So that's I, mean, I, mean, I, I, I would love that, but, so I don't, but, but you guys are guests. I'm paying you nothing, so I, I, only, I, will, I would love that, but I don't want to put you in any kind of jackpot for that. Okay, so who so, – so, okay. Um, I really – and I think I've answered – it's funny. I, I, I answered this on your, your – previous round table but yeah, you did That's it's right. not a player but I, I would really like to um to uh to have a conversation with Jenny Buss and this this and Ramona Shelburne and Tanya Ganguly and all the reporters in LA have done a great job covering her she has had tremendous profiles and and stories Howard did you do something on um on on uh, how she became the mother of dragons. Oh, that was Sam. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was Sam. Sorry. Yeah. That was Sam. I'm sorry about that. But uh, just, I, I'm only saying that to say a lot of people have um, have already, you know, 
went into those waters and done a great job. But I still find her to be extremely interesting. And as far as like players, like one doesn't jump off in my head right now, um, but definitely Jeannie Buss. Howard, uh, if you can get past uh, being mistaken for Sam Amick, uh, <laughs> will you, uh, my guess is, I'm, Howard, I'm honestly not sure if there's anybody in the league you haven't interviewed or uh, at this point, but is there, and this doesn't have to be a player, this could be a person in the NBA, but is there somebody who you've wanted to have a one-on-one with who you just have not had that opportunity yet? Uh, great question. I'm, I'm thinking like, I don't know if there's anybody that I'm, I'm dying to talk to right now that I, like, it, it's, it's so often story specific. Um, and I, I, I kind of tend to have tunnel vision that way. Like whatever I'm working on is the thing I need at that moment. Um, you know what, Dan, Dan Gilbert, <laughs> I don't, I mean, <laughs> no one's really, no one's really gotten Dan Gilbert to sit down and talk about, uh, all of this, everything that's happened, losing LeBron twice and what role, he, Dan Gilbert, played in that. Um, and just the fact that the entire fate of his franchise, the entire time he's owned it, has basically risen and fallen on, on LeBron James's decisions to leave home, come back home, and leave home again. Um, and, uh, I mean, Gilbert, as an owner, is, is, I think, an interesting figure in a lot of ways. But, um, I, yeah, I mean, among players... I'm not sure there's anybody that that's uh, that's topping the list right now. I'll keep thinking. Sear it. Uh, I gotta go with. I I was actually I, I was actually panicking because this is who I I thought Candace said, and then I was thinking, oh my god, I got to quickly think of somebody else now. Uh, Jimmy Bus, because yeah. I just can't imagine what it's like to just be this guy on the sidelines of this thing that's happening with with the Lakers finally signing LeBron James. And he is somebody who's had a stake, either emotionally or then later on, you know, as as a part owner of the Lakers for essentially his entire life and mm-hmm. is now on the sidelines after his sister, you know, mother of dragons, won the war and uh, is now reaping the rewards. Well, he, and he's just kind of like, we, he's somebody where we haven't really heard his side in a long time. Like, I don't really think that he is somebody who gives a lot of interviews and, you know, other than obviously, you know, when he's jockeying for his own position, he's going to use the media in whatever way that he can. But uh, now that he's kind of out of the spotlight and uh, and doesn't really have a stake in it, we just like, what is he doing? How does he feel? What's his day to day life like? I'm just I'm just so curious. Ooh, I Where like that is one, Jimmy. That's a good that's a good story idea. All right, I got two more for you guys, and I'm going to let you go. Uh, back to you, Candice. Um, how does where you live? impact how you view the league or do your job you work for obviously in my opinion the best newspaper in the country obviously incredibly famous you're based in washington so you're gonna uh you see the wizards more than anybody but it's still a national paper so um you have the ability i would think to see other teams or you have obviously a lot of teams that come to you but this is always kind of an interesting question to me uh like given the geography of where people are and how it impacts how they do their journalism job so I'm just going to make that open-ended. How does where you live right now impact how you both view the NBA and how you do your job? You know, you, you, you would think that I would um, have written more uh, political-leaning stories because of uh, where I work. However, um, I haven't with this team and for two reasons. 
one, um, before, uh, what was that, 2017 Media Day, I, I felt that when the Wizards did speak up about it, they were following LeBron's lead, just like a lot of NBA players. And so I felt like I don't want to force a story when just I just have this hunch that you, you're feeling more comfortable about speaking about it just because um, it may be the, the popular or, or, or kind of trendy thing to do. And so I didn't want to write that story. And, and secondly, um, um, the, the, uh, the coach, as is uh, Scott Brooks, he takes a, a very deliberate approach in making sure that he says absolutely nothing um, interesting when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to um, you know where he lives and works and you know even even if it even at the the start of the year the start of two, three years ago when they wanted to um, and it wasn't protesting the national anthem it was to show a sign of unity during the national anthem um, you know his 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 um, set response was we're going to talk about it as a team and we're going to do something. Um, as a team, whatever. And so it was, that was always that. We're going to talk about it as a team, like always future tense, even if those conversations had always happened. So when someone just goes out of his way to, you know, not be like a Popovich or, or, or Kerr, then, you know, I'm not going to force you to, uh, to talk about it. So it's, 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 it's interesting. I, when, when I did talk about it the last media day, I felt it was forced, but I, I just don't want to um, – Go to go to another guy who clearly doesn't want to share anything about that, and I guess that could be a story idea. Why doesn't he want to? Uh, you know, why is he so careful and 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 how he expresses himself when he when he speaks about anything politically? But I was able to to dive into and personally, um, cultural and especially cultural issues are are important to me, and that kind of helped define a little bit of my um, of what I would like to to read. So I was able to write a story about how. Lance Stevenson, um, why, why was he so beloved in such a red state of Indiana last year when he was with the Pacers? And get into a little bit of that dynamic, because I found that to be extremely interesting. But um, you don't see a lot of, I, I don't get a lot of opportunities to do that here with the team that I cover. Hmm, that's a really interesting answer. Thanks. Um, Howard? You know, um on a very practical level, you know, like obviously I live in New York, so I have two teams, and the commissioner's office is here, and the players' association is here, and so um, on a very just practical level, this is a great place to be an NBA beat writer because, you know, every Eastern Conference team is coming through four times, two to each arena. Every Western Conference team is coming through twice for the most part. Um, it just gives me, without necessarily always having to hop on a plane, it just gives me great access to a lot of people uh, as they pass through. And then having, you know, it's, it's easier to have a relationship with NBA officials when you're in proximity. Um, it's just a lot that much easier to have a cup of coffee or grab lunch or do a podcast or, or whatever else. So on a practical level, this is a great place to be. Um, in terms of how it influences coverage, I mean, you know, look, there, it's, it's true that there is an East Coast bias in, in the media because of the concentration of media people who live in the Northeast especially and, you know, I'm not from here. I'm from California. And, you know, I, I spent, you know, the seven years covering the Lakers before I came here. I've been in here. I've been here for 14 years now, though. And I can just see it as both insider and outsider simultaneously that there is a media bubble here. And there's also, by the way, a very much a, a, a New York exceptionalism, or as I often refer to it, a Nick exceptionalism bubble <laughs> where, 
where the the Knicks are elevated to an importance and prominence in in a discussion, whether it's on ESPN or BR or anywhere else, that is completely disproportionate to their actual importance. Um, Anywhere else in the country, Sam Smith used to tell me this, you know, obviously Sam, the the, the, uh, legendary NBA writer from the, uh, you know, longtime Chicago Tribune writer. And what he would just say, as a, and he's a former New Yorker, like, nobody else gives a crap about the Knicks. Um, all these dramas, some of them uh, highly embellished or, you know, uh, you know overwrought, overhyped, um, are really only important here. And you see it that much more when you've been elsewhere, because he's right. Nobody else outside of New York gives a shit. It, it, it's, uh, but there's something about the Knicks that makes everything bigger than it actually would be if it was that exact same team, you know, planted somewhere else. Um, but in all those other places, they don't care. Um, so it's just it's a it's a funny thing to be in the midst of and to, to kind of see and feel. Um, I don't know how that it influences my own coverage any one way or another, um, but it's it's an interesting dynamic. Sirit. Well, I think uh, I think being on the other side of the border definitely kind of insulates me a little bit from the everyday chatter that happens. I mean, obviously it's my job to pay attention to it, but at the same time, I turn on the TV. And for example, I don't see the jump, right? Like I, I wait, I, I turn on the TV and I see Tim and Sid, and they're usually talking about hockey, and Sports Center after is hockey, and then you know when you want to watch a basketball game that's you know really supposed to be supposed to be a really uh, highly billed uh, double header, and it's not the Raptors playing. Guess what's on TV? <laughs> it's hockey. So. Uh, there's definitely there's definitely a level at which I think uh, probably because I'm 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 a little bit younger too that the way that I see the NBA is way way more skewed towards what's going on, on the internet because that's the majority of the media that I that I consume. So I think I think that has that has probably uh, an influence that is a lot more outsized than than I even realized until this moment. It was the first time I've ever really thought about this question. And then I think there's also this sort of, in Toronto, a sense of a lack of coverage from from American media that I, it kind, I, I think that it definitely, I, I write a little bit about the inferiority complex, like just the way that the fan base sees itself is something that I've always found to be really interesting. Because I think it's also something that I think uh, the the team almost, sees it too. I think Kevin Artovitz put it pretty well in an article that he wrote before uh, before the 76ers and Raptors game and that like the, the Raptors are kind of trying to be one of the good teams that is like highly considered by, by NBA players. So for, for them it's just like a matter of how the perception of being the Canadian team is actually a storyline uh, that definitely impacts the way that, that, the way that I cover them. Hmm. Yeah, uh, one day I hope to write or maybe do a podcast just on sort of how the Canadian sports media looks at America. And it's just very interesting to me that there's still this idea that, you know, you got to make it in America to make it. It's total bullshit, having obviously being in America now living in Canada, but it's just fascinating to me all the same. But that's for another podcast. All right, you guys have gone a long time. This is the last one. We will make it quick. You cannot, by the way, the only thing is you cannot name anybody on this podcast for your answer okay we're good howard you want me to start with you okay all right fire away howard by the way by the way howard great job it's been 50 something minutes and you haven't tried to host this podcast (laughs) 
So I appreciate that very much. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was tempting. It was tempting. I know. I know. And trust me, the improvement would – all three of you would improve the podcast by hosting it. Um, so who is the NBA media person you'd most want to sit next to for an NBA Game 7 Finals and why? And you cannot choose Candace or Sirit, Howard. Oh, man. This is a really cool question. This is great. This is, the, this is the one question you've asked where I, I think you, uh, it would have been better if you'd given us a day's notice so I could just actually really think about it. Um, man, I mean, there, there are people I'd like to sit next to just purely for like, the, their, their analysis and their insights. Like, you know, Zach Lowe. I mean, Zach's obviously a friend, too, and, and you know, would love chatting with him anytime. But um, Zach would be great. I've I, my, my, got to be honest. My first impulse was to say Bill Simmons just because, like, Build everything he says, whether it's on his podcast or otherwise. Like it's always coming from some other like line of thinking or um, some other level that I, I just I wouldn't even have, even have considered. Like he's he's entertaining as hell, and he just he's and he's also got great insights. But he just he comes at things from a different angle that uh, just always strikes me as as refreshing because it's not what I would have thought of. Um, so there's a couple. I like that. Okay, Sirit. Oh my God, no! I need more time. I can fill a, I can filibuster for a while. <laughs> that would be that would be great. That would be great. I would appreciate that. I honestly, I, this is a really good so question. I have right now. It's an incredible question. And Bill's a great answer, by the way. Like I, I think that's somebody I, I didn't necessarily think of that. Uh, now right. is because I can't think of anything. Like, I might have sir, that, sir, this is a total well. filibuster by you. Like this is like a political thing oh, to talk sure. to <laughs> try to get that question answered. <laughs> I got it though. I got it though. It would, All right, it go would ahead. Probably have to be Bolani, Bolani Jones because yeah. it would just be the most entertaining two and a half hours of my life. I think, and both both insightful and funny, and uh, just giving me a lot to think about. And uh, you know, I think uh, I think. Just kind of in the same way that Bill does, he he comes at uh, at the NBA in ways that I and sports in general in just ways that I would have never thought of. And as a guide for Candace, if she doesn't have her answer, I just realized that the way to uh, the way to to break this formula is to think of whose podcast you like listening to the most. <laughs> ah, good good point. All right, Candace, you 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 get the benefit of having at least maybe 90 to 180 seconds more to think about it. I did. And I'm still going to interpret this question as, uh, I just want to sit next to like a buddy that I can crack jokes with. And I really, really dig certain, um, certain media cords. Like I love the leaders horde. They're cool peeps. Um, I dig the, the calves horde, but, um, I'm probably with, uh, the folks who cover cover the Pistons, so I'll say um, I'll say uh, Rod Beard hmm. and um, my uh, good friend. Uh, what is his name? My good friend James James Edwards, who looks like Chris Broussard. So I can like uh, just joke him and just rag on him for saying that you know he looks like Chris Broussard throughout Game Seven when I should be paying attention to the game. I would rather just enjoy life and uh, sit next to a buddy. That, that's a terrible answer, and you can edit that out. But, um, yeah, I'll just say I just want to enjoy life at Game 7. Enjoy, enjoy that I'm actually in a Game 7 and to say, you know what, thank God for this opportunity. Let's have some fun. 
Yeah, no, I got no problem with that because you gave a. Uh, I think you gave a shout out to one of my colleagues at the Athletic. So I got. Uh, we're definitely going to uh, in James Edwards. So we're definitely going to. Uh, we're definitely going to leave that in. All right, listen. Let me give the. Uh, let me give all the bios again. Howard Beck is a senior NBA writer for Bleacher Report. Candace Buckner is a reporter for the Washington Post who covers the Washington Wizards. And Sirit, uh, you know, Sirit, I did not have to pronounce your last name this whole podcast, right? So Soki. Mike, did I get that right? You did. Now, I, I don't get to make fun of you. I was, yeah, was really I know. hoping it was, to. It was 50-50. I'd blow that. Okay. She is a NBA reporter uh, for Yahoo Sports. Anyone who is a um, an NBA uh, fan or reader knows all three of these guys. Uh, not guys, but I'm using guys in the plural. Knows all three of these professionals who um, are exceptionally good at what they do. Follow all of them on Twitter. Check out. What up, Bex podcast? Um, you probably already listened to that. If you are an NBA fan, I'm going to keep these guys on as we uh, as we do our end of the show. So I thank all of them for their honesty and for this conversation. Previous podcast before this one, Tom Verducci of Sports Illustrated, Rebecca Lobo, and Lachina Robinson on women's college basketball coverage in this country. Kirk Menahan on uh, talking about uh, mental health uh, publicly. Troy Aikman, Kate Abdow, Rachel Nichols, Candace Parker, Jamel Hill, Renee Young, Chris Haynes, who is a seer hit nose. And check out all of that stuff on the Sports Media Podcast with Richard Deitch. Thank you to Lou Pellegrino. Thank you to Kate. It's 13. Thank you to Candace, Sirit, and Howard Beck. And we'll see you again on the Sports Media Podcast.